Hello, and welcome to a free preview of Greatest of All Talk. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Greatest of All Talk. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. If I know anything about you, it's that you're sitting over there fiending for some red-hot trade rumors with two days Mm. before the NBA trade deadline. And I don't know if this is the calm before the storm, the storm before the calm, the storm before the storm, the calm before the calm. (laughs) I'm not sure what's happening because out here in L.A., it's been mudslides. It's been, uh, you know, just crazy overflowing L.A. river. Yeah. Yeah, it's just been absolutely wild. So I've been, you know, basically hunkered down or bunkered down, maybe bunkered and hunkered, frankly, (laughs) like waiting for a similar storm of NBA rumors to come through. And it's been really quiet. And so I don't know. um, You don't want to write the story before it happens, but there are a few things that are influencing this. I mean, obviously, new salary cap rules coming in this summer, which are going to make it really hard to be that second apron type team. So Maybe some, you know, high spending buyers who'd be willing to kind of go all out are thinking things through in terms of, okay, really what are our options going to be if we invest in players, maybe taking on future money? I think the other factor is, and it's kind of a new development. I love the first mover trades, man. Like getting out in front and getting Siakam, getting out yeah. in front and getting OG and Anobi, not waiting until the final day before the deadline. That's a relatively new development that we haven't seen a lot of in the NBA, and I actually think it paid off for those teams that uh, that took those chances early. Um, and then I think the other issue is that we just don't have a bunch of superstar level guys at war with their teams. Like we've seen last summer, for example, there was clear conflicts all across the um, the landscape. Whether it's Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, that was more of like a cold war, but we all knew it was there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you go back to last year's trade deadline. I mean, could Kyrie have made more of a mess? Could Kevin Durant have made more headlines in the run up to last year's trade deadline? And it's just a very different environment, and so that's why you get things like LeBron James. He's wearing a Knicks towel, therefore we better have a seventy two hour news cycle about it because it's a vacuum right now. There aren't a lot of other superstar level guys who are potentially in the mix. The last factor I would highlight is some of the teams we thought that could be real cost cutters midseason if things didn't go well have actually been performing pretty well. Like Minnesota, they don't have a need to blow it up, right? right? Uh, The New Orleans Pelicans, well, why are they going to blow it up if they're in this playoff picture? And more than anybody, the LA Clippers, like that felt real tenuous. Um, You know, you're going back to like when they traded for Harden in the immediate aftermath, but they've put it together. They're probably going to want to be buyers now instead of potentially being teardown sellers, especially after they uh, re-signed Kawhi Leonard to an extension. So a whole bunch of factors coming together to make me think that we're probably not going to get some crazy, crazy, uh, you know, headlining type move here this week. But of course, surprises happen. We get proven wrong constantly when we try to guess what teams are going to do. Uh, but if they're holding their cards, man, they're holding them real close to the vest right now, aren't they? Yeah, it should be fun, honestly, because it, it amuses me that there's now this whole industrial complex that has been erected to chronicle deadline day every year. ESPN has like a six-hour show or something, and there's round-the-clock updates from Shams and everybody else. And the idea of just a 
full-blown nothing burger for the trade deadline is kind of funny to think about. Although, to your point, there have been trades. The Harden deal was huge at the start of the season or actually wasn't huge at the time because everyone was like, James Harden sucks. This is so depressing for everybody involved. Turns out, in retrospect, uh, a potentially landscape-shifting move. <laughs> OG biggest deal Ananobi. of the year. <laughs> yeah, Somehow OG bigger Ananobi than the huge. Dave trade, right? Absolutely, man. I mean, shout-out to Steve Ballmer. Uh, he knows a good bargain when he sees one and then OG Ananobi has obviously been phenomenal in New York Pascal Siakam so there have been moves I just don't think there's going to be anything to write home about over the next 48 to 72 hours it is fun also thinking back to last year around this time when we had Adrian Wojnarowski reporting definitively Kevin Durant will not be traded from the Brooklyn Nets before the trade deadline and then a day or two later lo and behold the whole new era in Phoenix. Um, I'll start with this question from Greg, and then we could just sort of bounce around. Greg says, Goats, I haven't heard much from your Hawks correspondent, Abdul, lately. And really, I haven't heard much whoa, about whoa, the whoa, Hawks whoa, whoa. at all. Okay. We're letting re- listeners call out other listeners on the show now. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to start some gang wars. Is. Yeah, absolutely. Plenty of crosstalk in the emails. Um, Craig says, I haven't even heard much about the Hawks since your now preposterous discussion of their 50-win ceiling. That is a pretty hilarious 10 minutes to look back on from November. I suppose that's because there's honestly not much to discuss as the organization craters and the Trey era comes to the saddest and most inevitable end possible. I won't waste your time asking if the Hawks should consider trading Trey, but fast forward to wondering what a Trey package would even look like. He's currently in year two of a five-year, $215 million extension. $215 million for Trey Young. Is that a contract that anyone other than the most desperate teams like Detroit would even consider taking on? Am I letting my disdain for the player and his deeply whack game color my interpretation of his value? Or would a potential return be as grim as it seems? Ben, do you have thoughts for Greg, our our second Hawks fan in the audience? Well, it did strike me as amusing that he sends this in the middle of the most positive stretch of the Hawks season, right? Like <laughs> no, they nice got consecutive wins, <laughs> consecutive wins over the Raptors, Lakers, Suns, and Warriors. And like, you know, I saw the post going around, Trey Young survives the LeBron, Katie, Steph gauntlets. Like, okay, let's, we're laying it on a little bit thick. And then related to that was this idea that he is this um, unforgivable snub in the all-star game because he's averaging what, like 27 and 12 big numbers. And, you know, people are saying, you know, he's the only guy with those kinds of numbers to be snubbed. Uh, He shouldn't only be judged on his team success if other guys like Steph Curry are getting in. I actually really like Steph Curry's message to Trey Young. I'm not sure if you saw that this week. The idea of essentially be a good soldier. Don't pout. Don't feel like the whole world is out to get you when you get snubbed on some of these things. If you keep doing things the right way, eventually the recognition will come back to you. Obviously, that's a little bit easier for Steph Curry to say than most people because he's a multiple-time MVP, four-time champion. Like, his patience really did pay off. But, um, you know, a little bit earlier in his career than Trey is right now, Steph was getting no love. He was definitely getting snubbed from all-star teams. Uh, He was getting snubbed in some cases, I think, even from consideration for USA Basketball. And so I I love that message from Steph to Trey, even though they get linked in really unfair ways. I mean, Trey clearly is not the next Steph. I think people were hoping from that when he, when he was coming out of college and it just was, you know, way too big of a burden. It was good leadership by Steph Curry to kind of give that message to Trey. 
And I think on, you know, standing up for Trey here, I haven't heard a lot of the yapping and the stuff that we got from him earlier in his career about being upset at his situation. It feels like there's been a, a higher degree of accountability and not finger pointing and not, uh, you know, causing a ruckus this season than we've seen in past years um, from Trey Young. You remember his first couple of years, he's like constantly banging down the door, go make a trade for me, go make a trade for me. Mm-hmm. Multiple coaches fired. Everything I've heard him say about Quinn Snyder is like, you know, like over the top praise, like, you know, really, really like happy, positive stuff. That's a good place to start. And I, I think, you know, if you are Trey Young, it's really important because the flaws to your game are just as obvious as the strengths of your game. And all of your teammates are going to have to cover up for those flaws. Your coaches are going to have to coach around those flaws. And so if you act like you're a perfect player and you just do whatever the heck you want to do and you don't take into account anybody else's perception or, or uh, you know, culture type stuff, you are going to continue to be a losing player for the rest of your career. And I feel like even though the results aren't there this year, it feels like he's taken a step in the right direction. Now, Stepping it back just from Trey Young, the partnership with DeJounte is not going to work. I don't see why they would necessarily keep it together. I would be trying to trade DeJounte Murray if I was the Hawks. I think that they're kind of stuck. I mean, they've made so many trades in recent years, basically cost-cutting deals, that they've shed a lot of talent. They don't have a ton of other stuff there. So even if they do trade DeJounte and get a good return, where are they going? And that maybe would scare them. It's a young front office you know, this idea of like moving DeJounte, what's the future look like? Um, that would make me nervous if I were in their spot. I don't know what the path is back into the playoffs and back into relevance if they do make that trade. So they're definitely a team to watch here over the next 72 hours. What side of the, you know, the, the conversation do they come down on? Is this, you know, partnership broken for good and we just have to move on and try something different? Or, are we so scared of breaking it up that we stick with it, even though it hasn't really worked here for the last two seasons? I think it's it's one of the bigger questions that we're going to see. And I know most people are going to view the DeJounte talks through the, the lens of the Lakers, but I actually think through the lens of the Hawks is pretty interesting too, right? Because this was a team three years ago that's in the conference finals and now doesn't feel like it has any path back to that level in, in the immediate short term or medium term, right? Right. Like, is Trey ever going to play in another Eastern Conference finals in Atlanta? I would say no. Totally. That's why they're so interesting right now, because you look at the mix down there. I mean, Quinn Snyder was another potential savior in Atlanta, and I can't imagine what he feels like going home after some of these like 140 point nights. It feels like everybody who's scoring 50 or 60 is doing it against the Atlanta Hawks. And look, the Hawks could put up numbers of Wait, their own. Let, so can I ask you a question? Can coaches just take the bag and be happy too? Does that happen? Maybe that might be what's happening here because you have to think like Quinn Snyder can't be okay with the status quo, at least in a basketball context, but maybe he's enjoying his time in Georgia. The checks are cashing and there's not the like perpetual, are the jazz going to break through? Are they going to make a conference finals? Finally, we're spending $500 million on Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. We need to make this work. He's out of that meat grinder. And now he's just, you know, can you win 35 games? If you can, it's a success. It's a nice, easy play-in situation in the Eastern Conference. And so they'll probably be there by the end of the year. Maybe that's what Quinn is experiencing right now. But The the comparison I would make real quick would be like Jeremy Grant going to the Pistons, right? It's like you're going from this team, you know, the Denver Nuggets at that time had not won a title, but they're in the mix. You know they're going to be in the mix. That was sort of what Quinn was dealing with in Utah. You feel like he was the biggest name guy available. As soon as he left the Jazz, 
he was the number one coaching candidate on the sure. block. There were good jobs. He didn't take them that summer. He waited. If he had waited until the following summer, he would have been, um, you know, up for like the Suns job, right? Mm-hmm. I, Quinn Snyder would be a nice fit there, I would think, you know, given his pedigree and, and his coaching reputation. He takes this giant contract from the Hawks, sort of like Jeremy Grant to go to the Pistons. Like you said, zero expectations, zero attention on the group. And, you know, obviously he's got some influence down there, but this isn't like a Budenholzer situation where he's also the GM. He's working with guys who are way less experienced than him in terms of the front office and the ownership group, guys who have never really won anything. And so, you know, is it like, you know, the principal's on vacation for a semester? So, you know, substitute teachers are just having a good time with the kids. Is he just showing videos all day long? Like, what's he doing? And I am a guy, you know, I say you can't spell Quinn without win, but Mm. there's been no impact that I could see in terms of their win-loss record this season from what he's trying to do. Maybe the pieces are so broken that no coach could fix this, but why did he take this job? I think it's really fair to ask that question a year later what was he thinking? Was it for about anything besides money? I don't get it. Right. And how much tolerance does he have for the current group and the clear ceiling that has taken shape over the last year or so with Trey down there and DeJounte? And if you move DeJounte, to your point, I'm not sure why you wouldn't at least explore the options for moving Trey. And this is why I took those Spurs rumors seriously about a month ago, because San Antonio's one team for whom Trey at that price, five years, $215 million, absolutely ridiculous. But it also isn't totally insane for the Spurs, who are a young team and they don't really have anybody else to spend the cap space on. Um, and they also have a bunch of extra Hawks assets that are ready made to be included in that deal. But beyond that, I don't have any idea what teams out there would be willing to give up meaningful trade pieces for Trey Young and fit him into their roster at $50 million a year and try to go contend like that prototype just doesn't really exist. Um, and so they could find themselves in a situation a little bit like where the Bulls are with Zach Levine, where Trey could be unhappy a year or two down the line, and there's just not a market and not a trade available to them, even if they do want to make a move. And so that's why I would explore it. But it seems like they're content to stand pat down there, and they haven't gotten the offers they were expecting for DeJounte Murray. Um, I mean, we'll see if that changes. But if Murray stays, I would assume that Trey stays. And... um and they'll just keep kicking the can down the road, which is frankly not what anyone was expecting when Quinn Snyder showed up there. They were expecting that injection of Quinn Snyder insanity and just like the whole baseline for professionalism and effort and all the grit and grind stuff, which wasn't a Utah thing. But still, um, all of that was going to sort of become part of the personality with that Hawks team. And none of that has really come to fruition thus far. See, and this argument should have come up in the all-star debates. You know, if I'm Rudy Gobert, it was a clever line from him about like, uh, you know, if I go to the Hall of Fame, I could talk about all my all-star snubs. If I was him, I'd say, look what happened in Quinn Snyder once he totally. didn't have me as his back line. <laughs> like, this guy's making all of his money off me. Like, what's he ever done in this in this league? And I'm laying it on a little bit thick here, but it is, you know, an interesting thing to look back on because – at the time, you're like home run higher for Atlanta. Like, how the heck did they get this guy? Obviously, they're throwing a bunch of money at him, but um, you're expecting that to be a transformative coaching maneuver, and it just really hasn't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I hate to say this. The type of team that would tra- uh, trade for Trey Young 
is the Washington Wizards. It's Ooh. when you have nothing going on, when you're looking to have some level of box office pop, when you're not necessarily thinking about that as like an eight to 10 year plan. And you're thinking about that more like Iverson to the Pistons. Like, hey, if we can milk a couple years out of this and buy ourselves some time, um, you know, this will be okay. Like, that's the type of team that would look at Trey Young, right? And I'd actually, I don't think it would happen yet because they already have their own version of the same plan in Jordan Poole and it's not working out at all. Yep. But that's the type of team that you should be looking out for. The dream scenario for Trey Young, and it's funny because like Toronto just traded away all of their long athletes, not all of them, but many of them, right? But that's the kind of team he needs to be built around, like this interchangeable, long, lanky wings. Everybody else plays defense, so it's not as big of a deal Mm -hmm. if he doesn't. um, That's the kind of roster fit you would hope for. Now, obviously, Toronto... They're, they're going to seemingly build this thing around Scotty Barnes as the lead ball handler, probably with, you know, quickly there in the mix as well. So they have probably already cast their lot. But if I was Trey Young or his agents, I would be looking for a very athletic kind of wing heavy team that's low on creators who could, you know, sort of minimize Trey's weaknesses and, uh, you know, allow him to just kind of do what he does, which is pound the ball a lot, orchestrate, put up big numbers. And, you know, in some cases, like delivering late game scenarios, like I don't think he's a worthless player, but I think that the mix around him has to be just perfect for it to be a winning formula at all. And Atlanta's clearly not there and very few teams fit that criteria that I'm describing. Right. So yeah. uh, that's why a team like the Wizards, where they have nothing else going on, you could trade for trade, hope that Bilal grows into one of these like, you know, athletic wings that I'm talking about. Uh, and maybe make a trade for a couple other just replacement level three and D wings. And then now like you're kind of in the mix. Another team that kind of fits this category I'm describing would be the Brooklyn Nets. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of wing talent. They actually have too much wing talent. I expect, you know, hopefully at least one of those guys is going to be get, uh, getting traded here over, you know, this week, just because like, how many do you need? Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges. Like we get it. Like it's a little bit too much, right? <laughs> but if you had a lead guards with those guys surrounding them, you could have some pretty fun spaced out small ball lineups. You'd be able to cover up for Trey a little bit more defensively and things would go well. Now I have a, a, a sneaking suspicion Brooklyn has seen Ben Simmons play like twice in the last week and are just like, oh, here's our savior. Like, we're great. We don't need to do anything. Let's see how this plays out. They're probably going to get, you know, yoky doked by that. So maybe they're not interested in Trey, but that's the kind of fit he needs, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that really hit me hard. I was not prepared to imagine Trey Young no, I'm on sorry. the Wizards. I'm sorry. No, I... <laughs> really? But you can picture it now, right? I mean, I, come on. I can, yeah. Look, I, the team that trades for Trey Young is either going to be full of wings and guys who can compensate for him defensively. And I think Wemby could sort of fit that description where he's just such a freak of nature defensively that he might be able to lift the baseline no matter what the rest of the roster looks like out there around him. Um, it's either going to be a team like that or just a stupid team. And the Wizards are a stupid right. team right now. And so they could absolutely, you know, roll the dice with Trey Young. The, the Jordan Poole experiment, it was dubbed on Twitter a lose-lose trade officially yesterday by one of the, like, viral, like, clutch points types type accounts. Uh, just for the record, it is not a lose-lose trade, okay? 
because the Wizards still owe Jordan Poole three years and $100 million, and the Warriors do not owe Jordan Poole three years and $100 million. They're off that contract entirely. Chris Paul is expiring. They're going to be fine. They gave up a top 20 protected first in like 2030 or 2031. They won that deal, and Jordan Poole is just going to be this toxic presence that Hopefully doesn't ruin too many young players over the next couple of years as the Wizards try to have their own version of the process, except without any extra first round picks. That's sort of where we are right now. Um, Kyle Kuzma is another name that doesn't seem like he's going to be moved this week. I don't know why they signed him and gave him a 15% trade kicker. Because the theory with signing him is that you'll eventually trade him and get decent value in a deal at the deadline uh trade kicker obviously makes that more complicated but kuzma brogdon and boyan bogdanovich appear unlikely to be traded before thursday's deadline according to adrian wojnarowski does any of that surprise you as we approach thursday here so the the Kuzma point, not exactly. I mean, I, his contract, it's almost like one of those salary floor deals, right? We got to pay somebody, right? He yeah. seems like a nice guy. He hasn't like actively tried to leave. Um, you know, he's willing to go out there and take photos alongside Jordan Poole in Las Vegas last summer, <laughs> hailing the new era of the Washington Wizards, right? So yep. um, I, I think it makes sense to keep Kuzma for now. They, they, I would also urge some patience for you. I know you're you're a little bit disgruntled right now with Michael Winger. The guy is a smart guy. Eventually, I think his talent and his uh, his uh, intelligence is going to show through in terms of how he builds this thing together. When you were describing like the rough nature of Poole's contract and how it might linger, I was just thinking like, would Atlanta look at that and be like, well, he's making like a little bit more than half of <laughs> Trey. Half like of Trey. if yeah, we exactly yeah, if we can get off Trey and just like kind of cut our losses like this could actually work out okay for us so now I'm like really getting nervous um, on your behalf but you know we've seen worse eras with the Wizards than the Trey Young era if, if it really comes oh to that um, <laughs> well, we no. have I mean come on we have look we we're seeing it now okay the Jordan Poole era is worse than the Trey Young era would be I just don't know what I did what like ladder I walked under like seven years ago to earn this continual cycle of Wizards doom. But sure, maybe Trey Young is next year. I've already had Russell Westbrook come through town, you know, the Home Depot skeleton. Bring on the Trey era. Let's do it. Yeah, imagine how good Trey will be after he plays for the Washington Wizards. Right? It's like <laughs> Porzingis, Russell Westbrook, all these amazing career renaissance after their, their uh, stops through D.C. That's where you go to rehabilitate your career and frustrate the fan base, no question mm. about it. Um so I guess, you know, metaphorical gun to your head. If you're Atlanta, are you – how interested in our, uh, trading DeJounte are you? Um, if the Lakers aren't going to give you some amazing package and it's like D'Lo and, I don't know, you know, minor draft assets, I don't know if I'm taking that if I'm Atlanta. Even though yeah. my life sucks, even though LeBron's trying to put as much pressure on the Lakers as possible, like I don't – know if that's really moving the needle for me i probably just run it back in that situation so um what, what do you think in terms of likelihood because Dejounte seems like he's the biggest name right mm -hmm. like this week is kind of like the Dejounte week he goes or he doesn't go what do you think so in all seriousness as much as i enjoy joking about quinn snyder just totally checked out and like touring different film sets down in georgia because that's a big filming location these days for hollywood uh 
I, if there's no time pressure, if you're in Atlanta right now, like if the right deal presents itself for DeJounte, make the deal. But at the same time, I think a lot of teams would be interested if they wait until June or July to make a deal for DeJounte. And then you're going to turn around and have a lot of similar options for Trey, which is to say, maybe one or two teams are willing to put real assets on the table and reorient their organization around Trey Young. I don't expect the market to be all that hot for Trey, given what we've seen over the last couple of years. But I don't think that there's going to be a dramatic difference between now and July. Uh, And so maybe you just sort of batten down the hatches. And what did you say at the beginning? You were hunkered and bunkered. Hunkered and bunkered, man. Get hunkered, get bunkered, and make a run to the 10th seed. (laughs) And uh, it's now like an annual tradition for the Trey Young Hawks to have an entertaining showing in the play-in round of the playoffs. And um, then you sort of revisit things in June and July. I, I would expect that this is not the Hawks team we're going to see next October or November. That's not the hottest take of the world, but basically down there, Okongwu and Jalen Johnson are awesome and building blocks that I would, I would make sure to retain. Everyone else is pretty expendable right now. And maybe Landry Fields and and Quinn Snyder are going to wait until like the 4th of July before they start actually making some noise and rejiggering what we see down there. All right, and that is the end of the free preview. If you'd like to hear the rest of this episode and get two episodes every week from me, Andrew Sharp, and Ben Golliver, you can go to greatestofalltalk.com and subscribe to the show.